Welcome. You're listening to But Seriously, What is Engineering? With me, Katiki Gupta. This is a podcast series from the University of Queensland that explores all corners of engineering. Today we talk to two of our recent engineering graduates, Carmeni Karuna and Karen Zhao, who believe that forming your tribe at university is key to succeeding through an engineering degree. Welcome to you both. Hello. Thanks for having us. Hey, Kartiki. Thanks for having us. Carmeni, I'm keen to hear from you first what your inspiration for studying engineering was. There's a couple of factors. I had really encouraging uh, maths teachers when I was in primary school that kind of sparked my interest. And from there, um, I really enjoyed the science subjects in high school. And I also did something called the National Youth Science Forum. And during that time, I was part of like an engineering team. And and from there, it was kind of set that engineering and the type of problem solving and the type of diverse career options. Is there any engineers in your family? There's one uncle, but I never talked to him about his career or anything. And um, yeah, my parents were actually a little bit surprised and maybe a tiny bit resistant about um, me as a female going into engineering. Pretty happy about it now. Yeah. And how did you manage to have conversations with them for, I guess, them to encourage you to study engineering? Yeah, well, I just said that it did play to my strengths and my interests. Like I said before, with the diverse career options, there's a lot of paths to go down. Yeah, you're always going to have a job if you're hardworking and things like that. I don't know, just broke the ice and said, this is what I want to do. Karen, over to you now. Um, You mentioned your you were worried about your biggest challenge at university being making new friends and I guess forming your tribe. Yeah, Tell exactly. us a bit about that. When I went into uni to study engineering, there was only about two or three other people from my high school that came with me. And of the two, um, I was only really good friends with one of them. So, And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. I only have one friend going in. I'm going from high school where you have such, uh, well, you've been with these people for five or six years and you formed a really good group. And going into uni, I was just worried that would I meet the right people again? Would I make the right friends? And um, safe to say, I'm, I can definitely attest that you do meet all the right people at uni. I think when you go to uni, there are so many diverse people that come in and I'm sure you, whoever you are, you'll find your tribe. And um, I'd really like to think that my tribe, like Carmeny's main part of it. Um, but my tribe really got me through uni because you really rely on your friends when it comes to like crunch time for assignments and exams and also as a support network to get you through the day and all your courses. How did you meet your tribe? Was it through your lectures or was it through um, other networking events at university? Mm-hmm. How did we meet comedy? I think it's a combination of classes and... Like friends of a friend. Yeah, and mutual friends and um, like university society events. A lot of my friends came from that um, because you just hang out all the time. Yeah. A lot of my friends came from when I went into engineering on day one, I saw a person that I hadn't seen for quite a while, but we were friends back in primary school. And through her, I sort of met people she knew. And then the net just kind of got cast bigger and bigger. And definitely meeting people from uni events, especially when you get into your later years and you start specialising in whichever discipline that you want to go into. And I think we, Carmen and I, found our chemical engineering friend group and we're still friends with these people today and they're just 
awesome people. Yeah, and it's great that the friends you've made at university you've kept in touch with because that's really important as well when you go and work in the industry to have that connections mm-hmm. and support network out there as well. Carmeny, you before we started this podcast, you mentioned you moved out of your comfort zone because you moved out of home. Uh, you moved to a big city. You're a country girl, I, I believe. Um, you went to uni and that's a big change. You had to make new friends. So there was lots of changes coming your way. So I'm keen to hear how you managed that. I grew up my whole life in Townsville, which is a lot smaller than Brisbane. And you know everyone there, and especially in that high school phase, to a really big uni, which UQ is, and to a really big course, because engineering in first year had about a thousand students. So it was a lot to take in. I think when you move cities, you just have to kind of put yourself out there to find um, friends and that support network and and try and be social and go to events and just put in that effort to get to know people and hang out and things like that. And, and over time, your, your relationships just start to form naturally. In terms of managing uni and, and what that was all like, it was a learning curve because it's so independent compared to school. Um, it's really up to you what you do and when you get things done. You're not watched on and you're not spoon-fed. And that was just about setting goals and like keeping a timeline, keeping calendars, making sure I kind of knew what was coming up so then I can prioritise my time and get a, get a good social life as well as a good study life in throughout the whole degree. Um, I think Karen would be pretty similar mm. in that way. Were you a timetable person back in high school? Did you have to train yourself to sort of emphasise that side of organisation more? Yeah, I think in high school I was a little bit timetable but it was just way easier than uni just because of the workload and and the independence that you have at uni I had to definitely get better at it especially with like the semester at uni knowing you know week 10 11 it's gonna ramp up gotta know when my exams are what order they are to prioritize the Mm. different courses yeah so definitely had to get better at it and I think I got better at studying as you know because we spent a lot of hours together (laughs) um, just at desks for like a whole day or more so I guess both of you had lots of changes coming your way. Carmeny, especially you, you were, you know, you had a lot of changes. You moved to university and that's, that's a challenge. Was there a time that you felt a bit lost and how you would overcome that situation? Definitely moving cities was a big step and no one from my high school really came to UQ with me or no one I was close to. I was fortunate to live with my sister at the time, so I had that support network at home. But otherwise, I think... You form friends fast when you spend time studying at uni. Like some of my best memories from first year with developing those friendships was just like long study sessions and then, you know, going to get Maccas at odd hours together and things like that. There's support services that you could always reach out to. So I knew I was I was lost with what discipline to pick in engineering. Like it's all pretty clear that you can reach out to an academic advisor and I took that step when I was in first year to kind of help me yeah, direct what courses I should be doing in the following semester. That was how I dealt with that feeling of being lost and not having the support. Actually, I'm keen to hear, you mentioned um, you had a little bit of, couldn't decide what discipline to pick. How did you choose chemical engineering? Yeah, so when I came into uni and UQ in particular, I thought I would do civil and environmental engineering. Um, I've always had a really keen interest on um, the environment and, and doing more work in that space. In my first semester, I did a thermodynamics course and I really enjoyed that. And, you know, the pamphlets or the academic advisor will tell you that if you enjoy thermodynamics, it's more geared towards mechanical engineering or chemical engineering. So from there, I was left with two options. Chemical engineering you could do with the environmental dual major. So I got that environmental side and I got the thermodynamic side that I knew I enjoyed from practicing it. So that's that's what based my decision. Let's talk travelling now. 
So you've both been overseas as part of exchange programs. Uh, so I'm keen to hear your experiences of studying a semester abroad. Probably the best experience of my life uh, during university. Carmen and I both went to Denmark together to study for six months and we were roomies as well in our, in our share house. Um, wow, ex- you've, you've really spent a lot of time together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah our bed was, you know, four metres apart for <laughs> six months. Yeah, we, um, we were put in a double room together. Initially, we thought it was like uh, separate rooms within the same house. But then um, I arrived at the house first and I walked in and went, oh, there's no wall at all. It's We're in this together. I think that was when we became like really a lot closer during that experience. I mean, we were in the same room. so We got a lot closer. Exchange was, was awesome, as Karen said. We were... Lucky to go with some other people that we studied with as well. Um, So we organised a lot of travel with them to the rest of Europe during weekends. But it was also cool to study at a different university and see how they do things and what what they focus on in terms of lectures and and course types and things like that. How is it different to Australia? Like, what's the system out there? The two big things we noticed was um, our final exams were all 100% of the course grade. So here we have, like, assignments and things to build up and then your exam is, you know, 60% of your course. And then the second thing would be the class sizes. They were a lot smaller, um, so you got had one, more one-on-one time with your lecturer. And I thought, yeah, that was that was really interesting and really nice, especially when we were not from there. It made us feel a little bit more secure. Um, how did you find that, Karen? Uh, I definitely found that uh, the the lack of assignments and the one big exam at the end was pretty daunting. But in retrospect, when I think back, I think there was tons of support opportunities available because of the small class sizes. The lecturer. That would be the main interface you'd go to because at UQ, if you have a question, you'd go to your tutor and then your tutor will answer it. And But in this instance, you go directly to the lecturer and they carve out time to answer all the questions for you. I think that was one of the main um, things that I found different because uh, you can go straight to, I guess, the person delivering the content and, and hear it straight away from themselves. And did you have to learn the language or were the, was the teaching in English? No, thank goodness, because uh, yeah. Danish is really hard. Danish is super hard. It took Princess Mary, you know, a good number of years yeah. with yeah. private education. Thank God we, we could just um, do all our courses in English. Did you try and learn it? I learned very, very basic phrases, which I don't really remember anymore, like Duolingo phrase, like, I want to eat an apple. And I'm not sure when you'd use it, but it's a basic phrase, apparently, that you learn in lesson one. Karen also memorised the Danish from the train announcements because we were so used <laughs> yeah. to them whenever we'd go into the city. So I'm sure she could still recite that today. But um, no, I, I, I was pretty poor at attempting another language. Yeah, but all important things you memorise, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the friends and the networks you made overseas, do you still keep in touch with them? I still keep in touch with them uh, here and there. Definitely, for sure, after we first left, we were very excited, but... Um, you know, as time goes on, things uh, your friendships and connections do tend to wane a bit. Uh, I still have all of them on like all my social media on LinkedIn, and um, I see what they're doing. And and some some of them have come and visited us in Australia. And I'm sure once we're able to, I'd love to go and see them again. And um, a lot of the people we met were engineering students as well. And I can definitely see how a couple of years in the future when uh, I'm not sure if this will happen, but if I ever choose to work overseas, I I have all those connections that I can talk to and and get their advice in terms of how should I go about looking for jobs in this country or this area of the world. Yeah, fantastic. Actually, that was going to be my next question. Would either of you go work overseas and where? 
hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's kind of the plan in the next decade to spend a year or two working overseas. Um, I think you just get way more immersed into a culture if you like work and live there properly rather than just traveling for a holiday. It's a plan in terms of where, no idea. Just depends on what opportunities come my way, which I guess you can't really predict. Carmeny, you, when you were at uni, you were heavily involved with Engineers Without Borders. Tell us a little bit more about that. With Engineers Without Borders, um, I first went to Nepal with them during doing a humanitarian engineering um, stint. That was for two and a half weeks, and it's a really good program, and UQ supports the funding for that. That was amazing because getting to understand the humanitarian engineering side of things uh, was so different to what our normal courses were, which are very technical. From there, I did some work with them in the student society, so just organising workshops and things like that so that people at uni can get a better grasp of appropriate technology and humanitarian engineering. The focus was on trying to help people that live in villages, and so we spent a few days workshopping and then we stayed in the village for five days and the point of that stay was to really understand their way of life and not to go in with any um, preconceptions about what they what they need, what we think they need. We should be listening to them and, and living their life to, to kind of understand how we could make improvements. We all got split into little teams and, and, and worked on potential projects. Ours, for example, was as simple as how they carry water from the springs. Um, it's pretty laborious and it's a lot of tension on their heads, the way they um, hold the basket. So ours was as simple as taking that tension and, and, and putting it around to their hips like a normal backpack. So, mm. yeah, ours, ours was very simple, but it went all the way up to, like, should they consider composting or a different way of garbage disposal because of the fumes from burning garbage? So it was a whole span of things, but being immersed in that culture and living in the village was really, really good. I'm keen to hear what sort of stimulated your passion into this program. Being able to put your skills as an engineer into something that helps people so directly is really cool. Like often if you work on big projects, it's a bit removed from the direct impact to society. Like it's improving society, but it's not that one-on-one seeing someone's life change in front of you. So that was a factor. I was just keen to learn about what humanitarian engineering was because I didn't know a lot about it at the time. I love travel, so an opportunity to go overseas and and learn about a new culture was there, but also the people you meet. So we were in a group of 25 other university students from around Australia, and plus the mentors on top of that. Like, that's a really good network that I have now to reach out if they're working on something interesting that I would want to jump on board with, or just friends as well. What you designed for them, did that get implemented and used? Um, I'm not too sure for this trip. So the Humanitarian Engineering Summit with Engineers Without Borders is more about a learning experience for the university students because you're only there for two and a half weeks. Like, realistically, you're not going to make big changes that last. But Engineers Without Borders as a whole, they do um, some incredible work and, you know, they spend six months to a year um, in those communities before they implement a change. So it was more... the, The summit itself was more for the student learning and to get us involved and and to know about this kind of space of work. And what a great way to be involved with a program whilst you're at a university following your love for travelling and helping people. um, Such a fantastic initiative. I've always been so inspired by the work Engineers Without Borders do and I guess hearing your involvement in it has been um, quite inspirational for myself. Have you been involved in any other programs like this one? 
that's another really cool part about engineering that I didn't know about when I was in high school but experienced at university. There's just so many opportunities and programs that you can do throughout your degree that could either count towards your courses or just be a really good learning opportunity for you. So following Nepal, I went to India for a month, actually in January this year, um, just before the COVID stuff got crazy. And I spent a month there um, working on similar things with humanitarian engineering, but also um, getting female entrepreneurs in um, communities in India that are below the poverty line. So that was really um, good to immerse in that world, understand their struggles, put some of the things I learned from Engineers Without Borders into practice in this context um, with a company called Pollinate Energy, who are doing some very excellent and real work on the ground in India and Nepal. Both of you um, actually have been student leaders for three consecutive years supporting the Women in Engineering program here at UQ. Tell us about your drive and passion to support gender equity programs like this one. For me personally, I think everyone knows that in engineering it's quite a male-dominated industry and for sure it's improving as the years go on and on. Um, But my main drive of wanting to support these diversity programs, especially ones for high school students, is because when I was in high school, I had no idea, like I never considered engineering. I kind of always thought um, it's for the boys. It's I, I'm not sure if I'll be able to find an area which I'll enjoy. I think it was only through talking to mentors and also some teachers at my school that I realised that engineering is so broad and it's not just sitting in a room doing math all day or, or going to a construction site. Um, And if you want to do that, that's totally fine as well. But I think there's tons of different opportunities. And and I'd like to just sort of let the younger generation know, especially the young female high school students, that I have been, if you're thinking about engineering, worried about not being able to find your niche. I've been in that position. I know what it's like. And I really encourage you to sort of explore the option and to read and listen to female engineers that are really changing the world with the work that they're doing. Yeah, that's completely right. And I've, I think I've said this before as well, that engineering does open the door to many opportunities. You And like you said, Absolutely, you jo- yeah. just don't have to sit at a desk and do design work. You can be traveling around the world doing all these amazing things. You could be working on mine sites. You could, um, you could even be taking another career, but using your engineering skills to take that career. Yeah, that's, for sure. Karen, did you have any engineers in your family? Um, I actually had an older cousin who's a female who studied at UQ. She did civil engineering, but she lives overseas. So growing up, I didn't really have her influence a Mm. lot. Because she was an engineer, my parents knew that it was a fantastic career and she was doing really great things and she was succeeding at her career. So my parents were actually pretty encouraging of me to sort of consider engineering. It was more myself that had the reservations. And that's what you need around you when you've got that little bit of doubt. You need that support network to encourage you to make that next step. I'm really glad that um, your parents were quite encouraging and you were able to pick the degree that you wanted to. Absolutely. Harmony, what about you? My passion for the Women in Engineering program kind of just sparked out of a passion for equality. And um, as Karen said, like the industry right now is male dominated. So I feel like there's a lot of work to be done in this space um, until we get to a point where female and males have equal opportunities to enter this workforce um, and yeah, and, and pick these careers. And also, like Karen said, like I had encouragement when I was at school from great teachers that made me um, really keen to pursue this no matter you know what gender. So 
I wanted other students to feel that way as well. Like they can do anything they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, both of you, as, as I mentioned before, you'd been student leaders for three years. Tell us a little bit about how you were able to inspire um, some of the younger generations to pursue a career in engineering. The best part about being the student leader was being able to go to all the high schools and present to an audience. Uh, we, I think we presented to all the way down to grade grade 8 to 12. I think we even did some primary school um, presentations. And just being able to tell them about, have you considered engineering? You know that you can do all of these different opportunities and you can go down all these pathways and you can definitely use these skills and transfer them to different industries. You can travel, you can do all of this and just making them aware and seeing. I think the best part about it was for me, being able to talk one-on-one with students who had questions afterwards. I remember um, talking to this one girl during my first year of Women in Engineering and then two years later in my final year, she came up to me at like a first year uni event and was like, I remember talking to you a couple oh, years fantastic. ago at this event. And I was like, wow, you, you remembered me. That's so... That's, yeah. I was you really are, You are pretty cool, Karen. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. I promise, thanks. Another big part of the Women in Engineering program is retention, right? Like we don't, we go to high school students and, and try to encourage them and spark their interest in engineering. But we also want to retain the female students that we do get enrolling in first year. So I really enjoyed that, that aspect as well. And being able to relate to them and say, you know, I was in first year. I was confused. I wasn't sure if this was for me. I wasn't sure if I was up to it. All those doubts that they're kind of facing and talk to them about it and, you know, make them feel a little bit more supported and like they have those options for people to talk to if they're struggling. Mm. Um, that was the part I really enjoyed about it as well. Um, the best part for that as student leader you can do is just to let the person feel comfortable and to let them know that if you're struggling, that's totally normal. Um, you're not alone. A lot of people feel that way too. We definitely did. And let's talk about it and walk through the steps on what to do next. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And like you said before, um, in the beginning of this podcast, how important it is to have a support network and really be able to, for you guys, to be able to help um, first year engineering students. That must be such a great feeling to to make that happen. Well, we've reached the end of the episode, but before we go, we're going to get to know you a little bit better. So are you ready for some fast facts? I'm excited. All right, let's I'm do sweating, this. I'm sweating, but let's do it. <laughs> okay, what's the one fact that listeners wouldn't know about you? I absolutely really love to bake. I think that's pretty common now that we're all in isolation. We love baking banana breads, but for me, my passion is um, making bread. So I've gone down the sourdough pathway. Like I'm sure a lot of other people have, but that's that's one thing that I'm doing now. Mine would be that I listen to more Bollywood music than Western music. <laughs> and my friends and partner are not, not, not supportive of it, but I do it anyway. <laughs> they will grow to love it. Exactly. <laughs> Who or what um, is your biggest influence in life? I'll jump in because that's easy. Um, My sister, she's um, 10 years older than me and um, has kind of been a second mum in a lot of ways and um, she's my moral compass and things like that. So she's definitely, and and she's just really like calm and a good person. So she's definitely influenced me a lot and and whenever I aspire to be better, a lot of it's based around her. Oh, lovely. Mm, That's awesome. For me, probably my parents. I take away from them a really good work ethic and a drive to achieve better because they certainly worked very hard to get to where they are now and sacrificed a lot. And they're my inspiration to sort of get up every day and go to work and and to push through and, and yeah. Finally, what's the one piece of music that best describes you? 
Whoa. Maybe music. Carmody, we know your answer now. Bollywood. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know the names of the Bollywood songs. I just <laughs> listen to it. It's so broad. I, I feel like my one piece of music changes every single day depending on my mood. <laughs> What's it today? <laughs> What's it today? I'm not sure. I think I've been um, revisiting my old classics that I used to love to listen to last year. And um, honestly, it just changes depending on the day. It, it depends if I'm studying. But I guess maybe now I've just been getting really into... So I used to really like this artist back in high school, like I'm going full nostalgia. I used to really like uh, this artist called Porter Robinson, so I'm listening back mm. that. Yeah, Nice. Lovely. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming. It was great to have you both. Awesome. Thanks, Kartiki. Thanks for having us. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave a review. It'll help others to find the series. My name is Kartiki Gupta.